0: You're listening to the Connect Over Coffee podcast, the show that brings you hope and inspires you to embrace the spirit of overcoming. Each month, we deliver the latest and greatest information on progress and advances in ovarian cancer screening, diagnosis, treatment, and survivorship. Now here's your host, Runsi Sen. Let's Connect Over Coffee. Hello, friends, and welcome to this episode of Connect Over Coffee. I'm Runsi, the founder of Overcome, and our guest today, is Bandy Chambliss. Fact of the day, one in about 75 women get diagnosed with ovarian cancer in their lifetime. If you think that's rare, for women younger than 45, the incidence is even more rare. That means symptoms can often get overlooked in younger women based on their age. Mandy, who was diagnosed in her late 20s, is here to tell us her story of overcoming and why she actively raises awareness on ovarian cancer every single day. Welcome, Mandy, to this episode of Connect Over Coffee.
1: Thank you, Runzi. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here.
0: So, uh, Mandy, tell us about you. And, you know, if, if I ask the people closest to you, what would they say about who Mandy is?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. So first off, just a little bit about me. I live with my husband of goodness, 10 years now, I guess, in Austin, Texas with our three dogs. And so that's, I guess, the demographic information about me, if you will. What would my friends and family say? I think I think first and foremost, one thing that they would say about me is that I'm strong. I think they would say that I'm an overcomer. I, and we can talk a bit about this later, but I think they'd also call me an inspiration. And sometimes I don't love that. And we can definitely dive into that. But I certainly also understand why they would say that.
0: I think in one word, they would call me tough. I love that. That's a, that's a great um, introduction to the rest of our dialogue. (laughs) So, um, so on that note, you are celebrating a decade plus of overcoming ovarian cancer despite being diagnosed at a very advanced stage. So, tell us what some of the things that you have done post treatment for your mental as well as physical well being that has kept you overcoming so strong and so tough, as you said.
1: Yeah. So, first and foremost, I will be 13 years post diagnosis on February 13th. So, in a couple of weeks. Thank you. Years. Thank you. Yes, I was given a 20% chance to live five. So 13 is a really, really big deal. So, you know, this, this concept of what have I done to continue overcoming in the past 13 years now, I, I can say, it's been an ever evolving process that I'm still figuring out. And I'll say just in the past couple of years, I've, I finally settled into it and calmed down A bit when it comes to this concept of, and this idea I had of needing to do everything. I I didn't want to waste time. I needed to do all the things and I still love being active. I still love traveling, but I'm finally relaxing from that and realizing I look back at the last 13 years and I've done so much so many amazing things that now I'm able to slow down a little bit and, and actually finally be able to breathe for the first time I think since I was diagnosed. So that's really nice and that's a relief before I would say probably in the past year or so, I, what kept me going was keeping on going, to be honest. It was doing, it was traveling. It was doing marathons. It was doing the things that I enjoyed, really never saying no to an opportunity unless yes, did not serve me well. Mm -hmm. And just really enjoying my life and embracing it, not coming from a place of well, let me rephrase that. Not always coming from a place of the clock is ticking. I don't know how much time I have left. Of course, certainly that is part of it. And it, it, it always will be. And it should be. I'm 41 now, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, so, so that's just a part of life. But it wasn't always from this place of I've got to check all the boxes before I die. Yeah. It was more of I'm, I'm set free, hopefully for a long time, but I'm set free. Why not embrace it and enjoy it and not waste any time? And so I think keeping my mind busy, keeping my body busy has really helped me. I mean, certainly both mentally and physically along this process of moving on, which I I tend to call it carrying on and not moving on because I'll never move on. But it's taken me a very long time to settle into that.
0: That's a, that's a wonderful way of looking at things in the sense that you say that you have been so busy for the last 10 years, just kind of overcoming with all your might. And now you are kind of reflecting on that and thinking, yeah. okay, I may just settle down and, and slow <laughs> down just a little bit and then enjoy and embrace the quietness that comes mm-hmm. with that confidence that, you know, you know I'm okay. Um, I think yeah, that's- and- yeah. The thing, thank you.
1: And I, you know what, maybe COVID, maybe quarantine and everything had something to do with that because I was kind of forced to slow down. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know had if that would have happened had COVID not have happened to be completely honest. But it has really helped me I think just learn to breathe in my own body if that makes any sense at all. Yes, if that that me. makes
0: perfect sense. Perfect yeah. sense. So, um <laughs> you know speaking of celebrating you know life and uh the last uh, 10 10 years that uh, 10 13 years now ongoing mm-hmm. so tell us um, what was the first thing you did after you rang the bell after your treatment was over so good
1: question and i'm going to preface my answer with i never rang the bell oh you did and not and okay. did not ring the bell and i'll tell you I, and when you sent me a list of questions i thought you know what let's just go with this because i think I think that this is still a a fantastic question to ask me because the reason I didn't ring the bell, I think is, is fairly, uh, profound and, or at least it is to me. I don't know. But when I was in, when I was getting chemo, I would hear people ring the bell, but when, when nurses would come to me, they're their behavior would change. I was 28 years old. I was the youngest person in the room almost every single time. And here I am with stage three CO ovarian cancer. And they handled me kind of with kid gloves Mm -hmm. and almost, uh, oh, it makes me cringe to say this, but I got more pity, I think, than anybody else in the room. Mm -hmm. And when I finished chemo that last day, first off, I did intraperitoneal chemo, which Basically, means that I had a port placed into my abdomen and chemo was administered through that port into my abdominal cavity. And I left with two liters of cisplatin and Taxol just floating around in my stomach. Mm -hmm. So I left very uncomfortable anyway, every time I left chemo. But I just had this sense when I left the last time, it wasn't a celebration. It just wasn't. It wasn't a celebration in my mind. In my mind, when I walked out that door, I thought, okay, I'm going to be protected by the armor of chemo for the next however many weeks. And then after that, my, my armor is gone and I'm left to fend for myself. So I left with this impending fear of, I'm no longer protected as soon as this leaves my body. So I wasn't celebrating. And The nurses and everyone that was kind of around me, my family, I think they felt the same way. And it was written all over their faces. And of course, I'm looking back 12 and a half years now since I finished chemo. And our memories change as as we get older, as time goes on. But I remember very clearly walking out very quietly. And I wrote a part. I know we're going to talk about kind of my writing in a little bit. But I did write when I was writing about finishing chemo. I remember jotting down, I had a feeling that when I left, the nurses had a conversation about how soon I would be back. So there was no video, no celebratory video of ringing the bell, no dancing, no, you know, none of the stuff you see (laughs) on social media now, which really wasn't a thing back then anyway. But I think for all of us, it was more of a sense of. Well, now we have to wait and see. It was just terrible.
0: So, so <laughs> but so here the, we are. <laughs> so, the first thing you did after you rang the bell is just you just uh, quietly drove back home. Pretty much, I just one hundred percent. I quietly drove back home. I I
1: didn't know what to do next. I mean, I'm even I'm sitting here thinking right now, what did I do? And it was it was akin to nothing because mm-hmm. to be honest, for the next week, I was very very sick. And so I think that was part of it as well. You, you, I didn't ring the bell because I knew I was going to go home and be in bed for the next seven days. So not a whole lot to celebrate at that point. But then I'll say after I started feeling better, true to myself. And true to, you know, what I said earlier about doing all the things and not wasting time, I went back to work within two weeks after finishing chemo, which was just insane, Mm -hmm. but I just needed to find a sense of normalcy as quickly as I possibly could. So I tried to get back to normal, and And I'm still trying to get back to normal,
0: And that's, that's such a candid answer. Thank you so much, uh, Mandy, for sharing that with us because, you know, it it just shows another perspective. It shows the the um, anxiousness and the anxiety that all mm-hmm. of our, you know, overcomers may feel when they finish treatment and they're just send their way without a promise of the future, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, thank you so much for sh- shining your light on that. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as you are, you are pretty active in the space for uh, raising awareness on ovarian cancer and generally in um, helping other women understand the signs and symptoms. And so if there was a way you could change the face of healthcare um, in ovarian cancer, especially particularly in those remote areas where you know we don't have big centers and you had all the things in the world, all the AIDS in the world to do that, what would you do? How would you change well- it?
1: First and foremost, obviously, a diagnostic evaluation for ovarian cancer, regardless of where you live, whether it's a remote area or not. And certainly, I know that there's research being done on that. But, excuse me, until we have that, I- I'm afraid that this won't slow down. The incidence and the occurrence will not slow down. So, first and foremost, if I had it in me, that's what I would do. Now, in terms of remote areas and how to access them, I really think if I compare now to 13 years ago, I was living in Dallas. I was certainly not in a remote area, but I still had no access to anything useful, I'll say. Mm -hmm. Back then, there were a lot of blogs, and they were very doom and gloom. So I just dealt with it all, in essence, on my own, and, and to second that everyone that I met passed away. So I literally just pushed away. I dealt with it on my own. And I think now, even if you are in a remote area, most people, if they choose to do so, have access to social media so they can very easily reach out to someone like me Mm -hmm. and and get that, that understanding, that camaraderie, that what I call me too girl, that person that is probably one of the very few in this world that can say, me too, I understand what you're going through, because I went through it as well. And so what I would do if social media is not an option or, a pre- or, or not a preference for that matter is still want to find a way to reach out to these women, number one, for awareness. And number two, for those who unfortunately have already been diagnosed to lend a helping hand and to mm-hmm. give them love and support. And the things that my friends and family did their best to give me, but they didn't understand. They were not my me too girl. And it wasn't their fault. I'm glad they weren't. But it's important to find those people that can relate and that can hold your hand through this. So that's what I would want to do. Even more than just shifting, just healthcare in general, it would be, I think the aspects that traditional healthcare don't give you. Right. They save your life with chemo. They save your life with surgery surgery, but then what? It's the then what that I think I would want to focus on.
0: And that's, that's such an important point because, uh, you know, cancer to this day remains largely clinical, right? I mean, there is there's yeah. the treatment side of it. There's a the surgery aspect of it, but no one talks as much as they should about the prevention part and also the support that you are talking about, the support and the, mm-hmm. um, the social, you know, structure that is so important for, uh, for helping <clears throat> everyone overcomes. So, thank yeah. you for um, thank you for that that, that brilliant mm-hmm. answer. So, um, you are writing a book. So, tell us tell us more. We are so excited about that, <laughs> and congratulations on this uh, brilliant uh, initiative. So, tell us why you decided to write a book, and also about the uh, the most favorite chapter that you're writing.
1: Yes. Well, first and foremost, I'll say this is a three-year progress that we are currently in. And last week, I believe, I think it was about a week ago, I submitted my final chapter to my critique buddy. And she's given me her edits, and I have completed the first rough, rough, rough draft, because I know that this is just the beginning. But that within itself was a huge milestone. So why did I start writing the book? Ah. I mean, I could narrow that down to about 50 different things, but I'll choose the (laughs) top two. I, I became very, very, very close friends with an ovarian cancer survivor, Runcie, that I know that you know who I'm referring to here, Brittany Crosby. She became my sister and my closest friend in the world. And I learned a lot through her. She's 10 years younger than me, but I learned a lot through her as I watched her deal with her diagnosis She shared it like wildfire. And I don't know if I would have or not had social media been more of a thing 13 years ago. I really actually don't know. I I can't speak to that. But I also had so much fear that I'm not sure I would have been up to the task. So it took me about 10 years, eight, well, probably eight to 10 years to to finally feel comfortable sharing my story often. And it it came from watching her and her confidence, and I realized, wow, there is healing in transparency. This is is helping her. It's helping me. Watching her do this is helping me, and so I thought, you know what? I'm just going to start writing down what has happened to me. I'm going to write down the things that I've gone through, and it just went from there, and I took a course on getting published, and the teacher slash coach gave us instructions on, you know, writing, just writing tips in general. And I realized that my first rough draft was terrible. (laughs) And so I started over and I actually think I've come out with a, with a rough draft, a final product of a rough draft that, that I'm super proud of. And if no one, if it never goes any further and if no one else ever reads it, I really honestly equate a lot of my healing to the transparency that I've opened myself up to, the sharing that I've opened myself up to, and just writing it down Mm. and reliving and then letting it go. So, yeah, I mean, it really came honestly from Brittany. Now, in terms of my favorite chapter, oh my gosh, uh, I'm just going to go off the cuff here. And I would say it's one of It has to be one of my chapters that I wrote about hiking. One chapter I wrote about hiking with Brittany and some of our friends. And, and it's just, it speaks so much to the struggle that's always going to stay with us, but how we can continue to overcome and we can reach summits in other ways. We can survive and we can, we can conquer and we can do it with grace and humility and, tons of humor and laughter and and we can still make it through and even sometimes if we if we're just shy of that summer that summit there's still beauty that can be found with not succeeding 150 so i have a chapter called so close yet so far and so you can probably deduce from that that i did not summit i was about 100 feet from the summit and struggling with that, dealing with that, and just going through all the emotions of that. And then later on, I have a chapter called Summits. And it is a chapter about me and Brittany's dad and Brittany's husband, Reese Crosby, climbing Longs Peak in Colorado. It's a 14,000 plus foot mountain that is actually pretty dangerous, but it was Brittany's favorite mountain. And just writing about, the process, the journey, the process to the summit, and then actually making it to the top and standing on a rock that she stood on that she took pictures on and spreading her ashes on the top of that mountain. I'd have to say it's a tie between those two.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh, that is beautiful. I mean, and congratulations for making it the second time. It's 14,000 feet, that's super high. Oh my goodness. It's pretty and, high. Yep. And, and what a way to to pay tribute to your friend. I mean, this is just beautiful. Thank you, Mandy, for oh, sharing. Thank you. Um, mm-hmm. how, how long is, you, how, how, um, wh- how many pages? Um, do you have um in your book?
1: Yeah. I don't know how many pages yet, because this is the, and I need to go through and do an actual a word count. I can tell you how many chapters, but the chapters range anywhere from like a, you know, a word document. Some are just one page and others are 10 pages. Mm-hmm. So I've got about, I think I've got about 35 chapters right now, which when I say that out loud, is like, What has happened to you in your life that you can write 35 (laughs) chapters about just you? It's just insane, (laughs) but it's true. It's 100% true. So I don't know how many pages I've got. I also did not write this in order. I didn't write it in chronological order. Mm -hmm. I wrote to what spoke to me at that moment in time when I opened my laptop and I put my hands on the keyboard. If I thought, oh, I cannot write about, My diagnosis right now. Instead, I'm going to write about summoning longs peak because that sounds more fun. So Mm -hmm. I bounced around a lot and all of my chapters are in individual segments. So I don't know that remains to be seen, but about 35 chapters. So it's not going to be, it's not going to be a little blurb. That's for sure.
0: It sounds, it sounds excellent and beautiful. And, you know, I cannot wait to read it when I get my hands on it. So, um, and of course I need a signed copy, just so you know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> hey, I, I've been telling my friends, I will email it to everyone if I have to, if it never goes anywhere, whoever wants it's still gonna get it. So
0: certainly Wonder, wonderful, congratulations <laughs> again. So speaking of, uh, of writing, um, Mandy, if, if, I, if we gave you a billboard all to yourself, um, what message, what brief message would you write on it? Mm. Believe in yourself. And
1: even when it seems impossible, believe in the world around you.
0: I think. Oh, I love that. That's, that's, that's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Um, th- that actually needs to be a billboard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So- Um, You have you have just so much to share. I'm going to ask you this question about, you know, um, children, right? So you were diagnosed, as as you said, when you were 28 and things were taken out and you never got a chance to get pregnant, but you also kind of shared in one of our previous discussions that um, you didn't particularly want children, but at the same time, the choice wasn't given to you. So it's not about how what you want, but it's more about the choice that was taken away from you without um, you know, getting a chance to, uh, to, to talk about it. So how, how do you feel about that uh, when you got diagnosed with ovarian cancer and how would you advocate for other young women who get diagnosed but are not given this, this chance or the opportunity to make one of the, um, the hardest but one of the most important decisions in life?
1: Hmm. Well, first off, I know everyone that's listening to this won't be able to see this, but I just had to mute myself throughout um, what were you were saying because my dogs were going crazy. So <laughs> I replace children with animals, and it works quite well for me. So um, you're right. I never, I never had that maternal instinct except for when it comes to dogs. My dogs are hundred percent my children and they make me lose my mind, but I love them so much. And I wouldn't be who I am without them. Even when I have to mute myself during a podcast because they're not behaving, <laughs> <laughs> but I, yeah, it, it, I'm thankful that that was never a burning desire of mine to be a mom, because for those of you out there that were not as fortunate me as me in in terms of not having that desire. And now you have had a hysterectomy and, and now you are unable to have children. You've always wanted to have children. Let me just say, I'm so sorry that you're going through that. I have been through a lot, but I cannot imagine what that feels like. And so the fact that it's not something that I wanted does not downplay that it's probably something a lot of other women want and they can't have whether it's because of a cancer diagnosis or, or whatever and so I'm thankful that my mindset was different and that's that's really helped me get through this and i think for those of you that are struggling with infertility i guess regardless of of the cause the origin of it you know, of course there are certainly other options and I'm not going to talk about the other options to have children because they're, I mean, everyone knows what those are, but if those are not options and you've opted to not adopt or not have a surrogate or whatever, so it's it's you and maybe you alone or you and your significant other or you and your dogs, whatever. I have found joy in freedom. I have found joy in being able to do what I want to do when I want to do it with nothing holding me down in terms of, well, I can't go to Spain because my kids are in school or I can't climb that mountain because my kid has soccer practice. And I, again, I I want to stress that I'm just speaking to me about me And and not putting, not wanting to put my ideals on anyone else. So I don't want to offend anyone by saying what I'm saying, but you can find joy and fulfillment in other avenues. The hardest part for me was when people would say, People that maybe didn't know that I had been diagnosed and they'd ask me, oh, do you have kids, patients of mine, for example, how many kids do you have? It's not even, do you have kids? It's how many kids do you have? And I'm like, zero. Mm -hmm. And then, oh, are you really, are you not going to have them? You don't even know what love is. You're going to regret this. And I'm just sitting there thinking, man, if I dropped a bomb on you right now, we could all this, I could make this really uncomfortable, but instead I'm going to sacrifice my own emotions so that I make you comfortable. And I did that for years. And that was the hardest part for me is you don't know love until you've had kids. You're going to regret this. I'm 41 years old. I have a husband and three dogs, a lot of friends, good family. And I know exactly what love is. I am no lesser of a human, no lesser of a woman, because I do not have human children. And I have to say, and again, I I won't say this for everyone, but for me, It's been a blessing because I've been able to use my time however I want to. And it's been the best part of my life.
0: Thank you, Mandy, because we need to have these conversations ongoing because, you know, we look at all of us have this tendency to look at life at at one particular way because that's what we are used to doing Mm -hmm. forever, right? I mean, without much Tolerance for some other, uh, you know, points of view or some other ideas that someone else might bring to the table. So it is so, mm-hmm. so, so important for you know women like you to put their ideas forward, to put, to put their, you know, the candidness forward, and and let the world know that hey, I mean, this is not the end of it for me, but just mm, because sure. of whatever happened. But you know, but I do think that. When it comes to the choice being taken away from the patient's younger patients with ovarian cancer, in many cases where you know the doctors just perform the surgery and the patients wake up to the fact that they cannot be a mom ever again, that to me, that conversation needs to happen in each and every case whether you or not you want a child, that's a different story. but, you need to have the choice as as the patient as the overcomer you know to tell the doctor this is what i need or this is what i mm-hmm. care for uh, yeah. so that's what we need to push for i feel that you know each and every woman in the childbearing age that gets diagnosed with ovarian cancer needs to have that conversation mm-hmm. with the physician with the surgeon no exceptions so thank you for um, sharing that uh, your point of view with us
1: I- I love that thought. And I will reiterate with, that I didn't have that conversation. So that actually didn't even cross my mind until, until you just mentioned that. And that is really important to point out that we need to be our own advocates for what we want. The reason it didn't cross my mind and the reason I didn't even think of it is because I was I went in for a routine laparoscopic surgery and woke up to find out I had cancer. So when I woke up, thankfully I had signed the hysterectomy form so they could go ahead and just get it taken care of. But I, I went under anesthesia thinking I was just having a cyst removed and I woke up with stage three ovarian cancer. So no room for any of those conversations. So by all means, anyone out there If you have, I hate to call it the privilege, don't don't take this the wrong way, but if you have the privilege of awareness so that you can, in essence, get your ducks in a row, I think what Runcie just recommended is so key, so key and so important, and you're so worth having that conversation.
0: But you know, Mandy, it's not just the, you know, we need to change the conversation, not just from the patient's perspective. The onus is not always on the patient. It is also the providers. It's also the healthcare team that, must not assume, right? And, mm-hmm. and must have that conversation with each and every patient before they decide to do something with her yeah. body. You know, that's where I think we need to change the conversation because it has to be a two way street. You just cannot mm-hmm. do that. It, it, that's just my opinion. Again, we are, but I this agree. podcast is about that. We are. Expressing our strong voices and you know bringing that to the table. So thank you um, for uh, your guidance and your um, suggestions on this. So in closing, um, Mandy, if I had to ask you what message of overcoming would you have for everyone listening to this amazing conversation, what would that be?
1: Mm. Okay, I'm just gonna fly out of the seat of my pants here. The first thing that popped into my head is if I can survive, you can too. Regardless of of what surviving might mean to each individual person listening to this, whether it's mental, whether it's physical, whether it's ovarian cancer, whether it's domestic violence, whether it's whatever it is, if I can do this, you can too.
0: I love that. I'll change just one word in what you said from you know, I would say not survive but overcome, right? Because, uh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the word survive gives the power to the other party. I feel that way. but when mm, you say the like say, that when you say overcome, the power stays with you. it it's mm-hmm. it's it's in your control. So let's just say overcome instead of survive Ooh, um, i I really like your thought process on that, okay. I'll keep that in mind. (laughs) Thank you so much, Mandy, for sharing your courageous journey of overcoming with us today. And we we really, really appreciated having this amazing conversation with you. And um, thank you, friends, for joining us today. We will be back with the next episode of Connect Over Coffee very soon. Tell a friend about this uh, amazing podcast and share this far and wide with anyone who may benefit from all this amazing information and the great chat we had I had with Mandy today so with that I'll talk to you again in two weeks until then keep overcoming thank you and bye thank you for joining us make sure you never miss an episode by clicking the subscribe button now this podcast is made possible by our sponsors GSK and Clovis Oncology and by listeners like you thank you for your support be sure to tune in for our next episode cheers to overcoming